as we see this man's life changed here in Scripture. So by your Holy Spirit, may you speak to our hearts that we too may be changed. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. For those of you who are visitors, we are working through the book of Acts. It's taking us months and months and months. We're up to uh, chapter 9. And uh, today we're looking at the dramatic story of Saul meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this incident, of course, has entered into the uh, English language, as quite a few ideas and passages from the Bible have. We talk about someone having a Damascus Road conversion or a Damascus Road experience. And if you look in the dictionaries, you'll read there, a Damascus Road conversion is an abrupt about faiths on a serious issue, like religion or philosophy. And so this morning we're at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. You might like to follow it on your sheet. It's the story of the most famous conversion in all of history. The passage starts with one of those little words that often need just a bit of explanation. It starts with the word, meanwhile. When we left the previous chapter, we read about Stephen being stoned for death to death for his faith. I quote, it says there at the end, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. In the earlier part of chapter 9, we've got the persecution and scattering of the Jerusalem church. We've got the incident where Simon the sorcerer tries to buy the ability to do miracles. And we've got the stoning of, no we haven't, then we've got Philip leading the Ethiopian eunuch to faith. And now we're back to where we left off. We're back to Saul on his hell-bent mission to persecute the early church, the troublemaking Christians. And make no bones about it at all, Saul is an angry man. When I was young enough to listen to Radio 1, way back in the 1980s, there was a show called Steve Wright in the Afternoon. And Steve Wright actually left the BBC in 1993 um, and uh, he objected to the fact he was being told what he had to play, what music he had to play. But he then came back again uh, to Radio 2 in 1999. Do any of you listen to Steve Wright in the afternoon? Yeah, some of you do. Good, good. One or two of the middle-aged folk listen to it. That's good. <laughs> and uh, it, it's still one of the most popular shows. And one of the great things about Steve Wright is not just that he plays good music, but he has what he calls the crew or the posse. And these are people who it sounds as if they're ringing in to have a conversation with him. And one of the people that used to ring into the show, one of the best, I think, was Mr. Angry from Purley. Now, I don't know if it makes you angry living in Purley at all, but uh, he was Mr. Angry from Purley, and whatever it was he was talking about, it would make him really angry. And he'd always say, it makes my blood boil, it makes my blood boil. And at some 
uh, stage in his ranting and rating, he'd get that off and he'd always finish with, it makes me so angry I could throw the phone down. And then you'd hear a big crash. And that was the, uh, the end of that particular interview. He was a great character. Now, I don't know if you realize that for two hours after you've lost your temper, after you get angry, you are five times more likely to have a heart attack. Let that be a warning to some of you and also to me. In verses 1 and 2, we see that Saul was an angry man. And he fueled himself with his anger. Anger against these Christians who he saw as undermining the law. Anger because whatever he did to try and get rid of these Christians, they didn't seem to worry, they just kept going. They didn't give up the faith just because he tried to get them to give it up. And I'm sure anger inwardly as a deep uncertainty began to trouble him as to whether or not he was in fact right. I'm sure there was an inner struggle going on, because I don't know about your experience, but when we're not really certain about something, we very often work harder and shout louder in order to try and convince ourselves that we are in fact right. And this anger of Saul is not an explosive anger that soon passes over. It is a slow-burning fire, which is far more dangerous. Look at the record here. First, he was always expressing it. Verse 1, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And when this man breathed out murderous threats... They weren't just bragging because he'd got a track record. He'd actually killed one of the Christians. He'd been one of the people organizing the stoning of Stephen. So these murderous threats were very, very real. And second, his was a very calculated and deliberate anger. Look at verse 2. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. There's a coldness about that. He was making sure that he got the paperwork right. And then thirdly, he was prepared to put in a great deal of energy into pursuing his vendetta. It was actually 140 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. On foot, it would take about a week to get there. Also, he was a a Pharisee, and the Pharisee wasn't allowed to walk along with the ordinary people, the guards who'd have been with him. The Pharisee had to walk on their own. But who knows, perhaps as he walked on his own for that week, hour by hour, day by day, his mind was whirling. His brain was wondering what on earth was going on. A crisis was brewing in Saul's life, if only he knew it. Because he was a man on the move, not just physically, he was also on the move mentally and spiritually. Saul, this angry man. But secondly, he was an ignorant man. Now, how can I say that about Saul, who is a Pharisee, who is a scholar, a teacher of the law, 
and as we know from his later letters, a fine theologian. He was ignorant because he thought he was working for God. But in truth, he was working against God. He was ignorant because he thought he was defending the Jewish law. But in truth, he had missed realizing that Jesus was the one who fulfilled all the law and the prophets. He was ignorant because he thought he was working for the good of the Jewish nation. But in truth, the nation that mattered since Jesus came to be was not the nation that was defined by birth, but the nation that was defined by faith. A nation where all are welcome, all are welcome, not on the basis of nationality, but on the basis of acknowledging need and beginning to follow Jesus Christ. And his ignorance is summed up as the flash of blinding light throws him to the ground and he cries out, verse 5 here, Who are you, Lord? And the word comes back to him, verses 5 and 6. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Listen to those phrases. You will be told. Now get up. Go. You must do. You see, up until now, it's been Saul who's been setting the agenda. Saul was the one that was driving forward in his task. Saul was the one who was always in control. He did what he liked and he did it when he liked. Now, he's led. As a blind man is led. Or as a child is led. So here we've got Saul, the angry man, and Saul, the ignorant man. But in verses uh, 10 to 16, we meet another man, Ananias, who I think must have been a very bewildered man. We know nothing at all about Ananias. We don't know how he came to faith. We don't know anything about him after this particular incident. But from these few verses, we discover that here was a man who listened to God, and when he'd listened to God, who obeyed what God asked him to do. And he knows that this man, Saul, is coming to his city for a reason. He's coming to his city to try and imprison him and his friends, his fellow believers. But God tells Ananias to go and pray with Saul. And, quite understandably, Ananias checks the message. Have I got this right, God? Are you sure it's this man you want me to go and speak to? And God says, yes, off you go. And I think it's wonderful that when Ananias meets with Saul, he doesn't offer him a grudging word of welcome, of, of welcome but rather it's a very fulsome word. Verse 17 here, what does he say when he meets him? He says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that this is a word of grace for Saul. Guilty and confused as he was, 
It meant that already in the community of faith, he had found a welcome. And so where do we go from here? My fourth and last heading, verses 17 to 19. A transformed man. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who gives peace to the angry and love to those who hate. Saul's eyes are opened, and I'm sure it doesn't just mean here that they were opened physically, it also means that they were opened spiritually. Now he understands that the whole of the law and the prophets that he treasured so much were in fact pointing forward to this Jesus Christ who came, this risen Lord who these Christians love so dearly. And Saul is then linked into the community of faith. That's why church is so important. He's baptized. Before he's been a loner on a one-man mission of hate. Now he's with a team on a united mission of love. And Saul finally takes some food and regains his strength. After such trauma, his life is back on track. So what do we learn from this? What can we take home from this this morning? We learn one thing about how we look out and we learn a second thing about how we look in. And the thing that we look out is that we should never write anybody off as a possible Christian. Too often, if we're thinking about trying to witness to our faith, we look at someone and we mentally judge them. I'm sure that you ladies perhaps do this particularly. You look at somebody and you say, I bet she's a size 12. And your friend says, oh no, I think she's probably a 14. You look at them and you judge them. And we can sometimes look at someone and judge them. We say, oh, he's a real hard-hearted guy. I bet she's really cynical about anything to do with faith. And because of that judgment, we don't bother to witness to them. We don't bother to ask them along to church with us. We don't bother to tell them about an alpha group. We don't ask them if we'd if they'd like us to pray with them, if they've got a problem, because we've already judged them and put them in a particular box which says, unlikely to become a Christian. But who would ever have thought that Saul would become a Christian? Who would have thought it? If you had a list of one to ten, he'd have been number ten. If you've got a hundred on the list, he'd have been the hundredth. If you've got a thousand on the list, he'd still be tucked down right there at the bottom. That's where Saul would have been on my list. That's where Saul would have been on your list. But I'll tell you where Saul was on God's list. Saul was at the top. Saul was number one. So don't limit what God might do and who God might speak to. Don't ever write anyone off. But second and finally, don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off either. Now you might say to me, but Martin, it's all right for you to say that to me, but you don't know me. You don't know what a terrible person I am. 
You don't know how I struggle with alcohol or pornography or gambling or drugs. You don't know how promiscuous I am. You don't know how I treated my last partner. You don't know what I'm like at work and the dodgy deals that I cut. You don't know how heartless I've been towards my parents. You don't know how neglectful I've been towards my children. You don't know how I've closed my ears to the call of God for so many years. You don't know any of these things about me. You don't know all the things that are going on in my life. I'm amazed that my family and friends, some of them still bother with me because I wouldn't bother with me. And as for God, if God is holy and almighty and judge of all, why should God bother with me because my life's in a total mess? I've given up on me. So why shouldn't God give up on me? Now if that's your heart, If you're feeling angry because of the way things are, ignorant as to what God might do, so fed up with yourself that you've written yourself off, then let me tell you this morning that God hasn't written you off. God hasn't crossed you off his list of those who might come to faith. Because in God's kingdom, his heart isn't actually for the people in the church. It's for them. Yes, it is. But it's also for the people outside the church. It's for the people on the margins. It's for the people who feel excluded. It's for the people who feel wretched about how their life is going. And if you're one of those people, then God says to you this morning, I love you. God says to you this morning, You are okay. You are right at the top of my list. You may not have realized it, but I've actually been with you in the sad times. I've been with you in the bad times. And I have never, ever written you off. And I never will. Because I love you. Let's pray. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever 